author, film producer, lecturer, uh, the the director uh, uh, at uh, yeah. IHP, right? The Asia director, uh, Ruben Payan. Yeah. And on top of that, he is the strength and conditioning coach for many of the, the top, top Chinese fighters in the world. Thank you, Ruben, for so much for the time. And, uh, man, how you doing, man? I know you're on lockdown. Um, I'm doing good. Actually, I just got out of a 14-day mandatory quarantine. I was in the States, of course, with the fight. We landed, and then I uh, had to do 14 days home quarantine. So my girlfriend and I just finished, so pretty, we're pretty pumped about that. Definitely. Uh, how was the two weeks of, of just being stuck at home? Did you get to focus on certain things, or was it hell for you? My girlfriend and I have been together for almost 14 years now. And so we still get along so well that we're just like, this is cool. You know what I mean? When we first came to China, we lived in a little tiny apartment, just her and I for like the first year. Um, so we got really used to just getting along. So it was actually pretty good, man. I, no problems. My dogs, I got my dogs. I was just ha uh, happy to see my dogs. I hadn't seen them for almost a month. And you know how it is. They're like kids. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, now let's go back to 2007. You jump on a plane. You fly to China. Right. What is racing through your mind throughout that flight? Um, you know, an interesting story is that um, China was something that I had planned in 2006. Mm -hmm. So I met my girlfriend about five months before I was getting ready to come to China. And I thought it was just like a side thing. You know, we were just, I was on my way out. I was leaving Arizona. And it was like I wanted to save face. So I was like, hey, I'm just going to invite this chick to come to China with me, not thinking that this girl was going to come. And so I take her to dinner. I'm like, you know, I'm leaving in a few months. Um, what do you think about coming to China with me? And, bro, I was totally thinking this girl was going to say, you know, I got my job, my family. She's like, that sounds like a great idea. So, so on the flight over, I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know this girl <laughs> and I'm going to a foreign country. We don't speak the language. I don't know if we're going to get along. I don't know if we're going to fight. Um, so if you ask me, I was like, I was thinking about that. Like it was like really scary to come across the country with somebody they just barely knew. But 14 years later, it worked really well, man. Definitely beautiful thing, man. Um, I know when you landed, you studied at the Beijing, Beijing sports university for a little bit. And then, you know, where, where did everything change after that? So I, I was originally in the Marine Corps mid-90s. So I was, a, I was an infantryman, a machine gunner, um, and I got into fitness in the early 2000s, okay? Um, my first five or six years, you know, the industry was really kind of weird because you had this merging of bodybuilding coming from the 90s, early 2000s, so bodybuilding was really popular. You know, machine training was really popular. And then you had this, like, it was gradually coming in with this functional training and what is this and what is that. And, and so you had these two merging worlds. And, you know, 90s was all bodybuilding, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was in the Marine Corps. We were bodybuilding and then doing our field stuff, you know. Um, so in the early 2000s, I was just trying to find myself as a coach, like trying to find your philosophy because you knew bodybuilding wasn't the best way to train fighters and you knew bodybuilding wasn't the best way to train runners. So you're kind of trying to find your, your path, right? Um, so when I came here, that's kind of where I was. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do a reset. I'll go study at the Beijing Sports University. 
Uh, I studied Qigong, and I just kind of wanted to reset my career, you know, and just say, okay, I'm just going to establish a new type of training. Let me just reset, do some Qigong, kind of calm things down a little bit, and just trying to absorb this Eastern philosophy. That was my idea in 2007. I was only going to come here for a year, only one year, head back and maybe reintroduce some Eastern training methodologies to the to the West. That's That was the game plan. I come here, um, and about six months later, I just kind of had this feeling that I wanted to stay. I'm like, okay. My girlfriend was down, and so we sold everything that we had in the States um, and just kind of set up shop here, opened up a little you know, 55, 60-square-meter studio. And it was just her and I, we're just doing like PTs. Like, set up my business, um, made it legal, because um, I didn't want any crazy knocks on my door and you know, getting kicked out. So I did everything legal, and it was just like a little 60-square-meter place, and it was just her and I doing some sessions. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm the first fitness coach to ever finish the Seven Summits. Okay. Yeah. So I was in the process of climbing, so I had already started in 2005. So I was taking trips around the world just climbing these different mountains while my girlfriend kind of ran the studio. Um, so, yeah, it was just a little 60-square-meter place. All right. That's how we started. Let's go to the seven summits. Let's go to the seven summits since you want to bring it up. You know, I wanted to – there was a that, – that could be like uh, 20 podcasts. I think you should do a podcast, like seven podcasts on your own of each, each summit. But uh, let's talk about that. Why did you do that? Why were you set on climbing the seven summits? Well, in 2004, 2005, actually 2004, I was going through a divorce. And you know how it is. You're in your 20s. You're like, this is the girl of my dreams. And then, you know, don't marry strippers. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. You're young. You want the candy. She's hot. Don't marry them. They're great to hang out with. They're great to party with. But in your 20s. Don't marry an exotic dancer, and that's my that's my tip out of that. Um, but we get we're getting divorced, um, and man, I always just felt like shit. The girl of my dreams is leaving me, um, so I started doing some personal development with a mentor, like a a leadership coach, and we had just finished a program, and he says, "Okay, you just finished." I was feeling really good about myself. And he said, go do something big. If you could do anything in this world, what would it be? And so I was like, okay, thinking about that, right? Um, and at the time, I was doing some personal training at a Gold's Gym in Scottsdale. And one of my clients was getting ready to climb Kilimanjaro. And she asked me to help her get ready for the mountain, you know, for the climb. So I was doing some research and kind of, you know, reading about the mountains, understanding Kilimanjaro. Um, and then she she invited me to do like a like a weekend hike with her in Flagstaff. So I said, "Yeah, I'll go with you." And bro, I hit the top of Mount Humphreys in Flagstaff, and it was like, "This is what I need to do." I I was like, "You had this epiphany. God hit you right in the chest, and it was like, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna climb." Right. I get back down um, a week later. I tattooed the names of the seven summits on my back. So I went to the tattoo parlor, tattooed the names of them on my back, and I said, I don't fucking know how long it's going to take, but I'm going to conquer them all. 
you know, because it was like, I'm going to play big. Okay, we're going to play big. And so I, I put the summit date underneath each name. And so I finished the seven summits in 2015 when I was 38. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I got into the whole mountain climbing thing. It was kind of like my own experiential personal development program for myself. Which was the most difficult for you? The, which mountain? Um, well, you know, they're all a little different, but I think the most challenging was probably Mount Denali in Alaska. And it's just because it's so brutal, like it's so cold. Um, the summit uh, is only about 35% of people's summit because of weather. So it's kind of like you pay your money. This is the whole gamble, right? You pay your money, you do your training, you build up to it, and then like you can get stormed out and, and not even get a summit shot, yeah? Um, so I would say Mount Denali, but um, just do the extreme weather. But I, I also climbed K2 out of Pakistan. I, after I finished the seven summits, I trained for K2. Um, we didn't get the summit because of an avalanche. Um, and when I was on K2, I realized that the summit is really about coming home, mm. coming home to your family. I have, a, I have a son. My son's 25. Um, so coming home is actually the summit. And the rest of it's just part of the experience, man. It's just part of the journey and Coming home and watching your friends go home to their families is absolutely the most important. So mentally, I think K2 gave me the most out of everything. But challenging physically, I think uh, Mount Denali was probably one of the most challenging. I mean, Everest was tough too, but Denali was tough. I watched a lot of the, the movies about climbing Everest and, and K2. There's a, a slew of movies out there you could watch, you know, and, and it's some of the scariest shit that you can think of. And uh, what were some scary moments climbing those mountains? Um, well, I, I, had a, I had a situation on Mount Everest. Um, I'm not sure if you, if, you, if you knew. I carried the UFC banner in 2013 on Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. So I was good friends with the guys here in 2012, 2013. And um, UFC had come here early. And... The market was too green. It was too early. So they left and reestablished in Singapore, and then they came back a few years later. Um, so that early crew of UFC uh, you know, uh, directors here for, in Beijing, I was good friends with them. So I, I said, hey, I'll carry it with, with me to Everest. But when I got about 20 minutes to the top, to the summit, I lost my eyesight. I had something called dry eye syndrome, and it's just due to – uh, extreme wind um, and I had lost my eyesight so when I hit the summit I didn't see anything Fuck. <laughs> I couldn't see anything so um, it's a long story I do a huge presentation on it um, for different organizations so from the summit to high camp which is at 8300 meters I had to come down blind <laughs> which was like crazy right um, so if you if you look at it, yeah, Everest was the hardest because I had some medical problems with my eyesight. Um, but yeah, it, besides that, the actual climb itself was not that difficult. It's just I lost my eyesight. I'm one of those guys that lost my eyesight. There was a Japanese climber behind me, about four hours behind me. He lost his eyesight and he died. So you know, it's supposed to be for fun. You know what I mean? This, this sport's supposed to be for fun, but people are fucking dying. 
and you're looking at your left and your right and you know the sherpas that are with you and they have to go home to their families they don't make a lot of money man you know what i mean they're making 2000 bucks uh for two or three months of work and that has to last them half the year so you know it, it can weigh in on you um you know the movie not it's hollywood so the movie, you know, it was factual to where you could see a lot, you know, dead bodies, bodies that had been there for long periods of time. Um, and then you wonder, like, why didn't you take this body down? I asked some of the Sherpas and they said, look, uh, three to five Sherpas to get one body down. And that's two to three thousand dollars to to pull a dead body off the mountain. That's 15 grand. Right. On top of that, you have to transport the body. Hey, some families are like, leave them there. <laughs> yeah. Position, position them towards the sunrise, give them the best fucking view in the world, and leave them there. Makes sense to me, right? So um, that's why there's quite a few bodies up there, and they just they just don't bring them down sometimes, you know? Shit, man. That's, that's, it gives me chills, man. That's that's crazy right there. That's just, just, just climbing and just seeing that as you go up. It, it must be a... It must be a mind fuck. Is it? Is it like in your mind you're just like, holy shit, like what's going on? Well, you know, there's a lot of different obstacles that you have to overcome. One of the obstacles is, especially if you're going to tattoo it and do something mm -hmm. crazy like that. If you ask me now, Ruben, would you start climbing the seven summits now? Fuck no. <laughs> Absolutely not, man. I spent 10 years of my life dedicated mm -hmm. to this and, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and all of that money was was from sessions from pt sessions i didn't have a life that was all i did was just train work and climb because that's what i wanted to do um in my 20s and 30s i wanted to finish before i was 40 um so no i don't want to i don't want to do it again it's too much work um so yeah yeah you look back and you're like wow I actually did that because you forget sometimes, right? You're like, time just takes over and you just forget that you did it. And you look back, you're like, holy shit, that was kind of cool. Uh, would you do it again? No, I wouldn't do it again. Too much risk. I'm older now. Uh, I would invest my money in other, pl in other places. And it's just, after I finished the climbs, I wanted to vomit every time I trained. Because I trained so long you know, nine, 10 hour days of continuous training, you know, to prepare because I had to prepare in Beijing uh, for some of the bigger climbs. So there's no mountains here in Beijing. <clears throat> so everything was like step mill, climbers, incline trainers, fucking doing two spin classes back to back. Like you're just trying to be creative. Um, I don't want to do that again, man. I don't want to do that kind of work again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's incredible. Now, um, going back to the studio, you had the studio going in uh, in the late 2000s. You eventually hooked up with IPH in Florida. You you certified the trainers. You're building this business. Um, why did you decide to go with IPH or IHP? Okay, yeah, let me explain what happened is I had about three coaches that were working for me out of this little small studio, this little, you know, 60... And I was looking at different people that were in the industry. Like, you know, there are some great fitness professionals that were pioneers in the later 90s, early 2000s. You know, Gary Gray, Mark Verstegen, 
J.C. Santana, Greg Cook. There's some great people out there, yeah? Uh, Paul Check. Uh, and these were the guys that – they were kind of like the guinea pigs. and said, hey, we're looking at this functional training stuff and what works and what doesn't. We're going to try it all. We're going to try the high-level balance stuff. We're going to try all this crazy stuff, jumping on stability balls. That was all stuff early 2000s. Like we were jumping on stability balls in the early 2000s, right? We realized that it doesn't work, that you don't get what we thought you got in the night in the later 2000s. It's not a huge core activator, Right. And I can explain that a little later why. So I was looking at different people that I needed a mentor. I'm a big mentor guy, right? I, I like to have mentors and people that are better than me at things so I can absorb. And I like to go to the content creator. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I don't like to get information regurgitated. I'll take it, but I'd like to go to the source if I can. Because I like to know what you were thinking when you created it. And I think um, any type of artist or anybody that's a really passionate about it, if you have the opportunity to get it from the source, because these guys are getting older, they're retiring, you know, um, they have other people that are taking over the business. So I was doing some research and I came across IHP. I researched the organization. Um, I researched JC Santana and I just kind of gravitated towards the way that he delivered content. You know, his big thing was, I need to give you tools that you can start using on Monday. And that makes sense to me. It's like I should be able – something complex should be explained so simple, and that's the genius of it. And when he was able to do that, um, I just kind of fell in love with IHP. I was like, you know what? I flew from Beijing to Florida, and I did a, a mentorship with him. And I said – after the mentorship, I said, hey, JC, will you come to Beijing and train my coaches? And at least I have my own little studio and everybody's speaking the same language when it comes to functional training, functional movement, what it is, what it's not, because I was so impacted on how he delivered it in a very simple, easy way. When everybody else was trying to use big words and confusing everyone, it's like, what is it? Got it. How do I train it? Got it. What's the system? Got it. Because if you don't have a system, then you don't have a roadmap, right? So um, that's how I hooked up with IHP. Uh, six years later, uh, I had to go through a very rigid uh, process, and I became a master trainer and then eventually a lecturer. So I'm, I'm IHP ride or die <laughs> just because it's impacted my life in such a positive way. Yeah. So you're, you're building your reputation out there. And throughout the world, you know, going through IHP. And then when did you finally start to hook up with the fighters out there in China? So I was – I'm good friends with the guys that actually started the movement of MMA. Tetuan Zhang is a good buddy of mine. Okay. I'm really good friends with, with his Muay Thai coach, the one that had originally brought Muay Thai to China, Vince Soberano. Uh, he was the original founder of Black Tiger. He sold it to Thai. So those guys, because there was nobody else in Beijing doing anything like that. No one was doing functional training. Um, TRX wasn't here. Like this was before WeChat. Everything's on the on the internet through email. Um, 
So I was right in at the infancy of this whole, after the 2008 Olympics, fitness just exploded. So I was already here kind of doing this functional training thing, um, and people kind of thought I was weird, right? And I was just trying to get better and practice these IHP methods. You know, it takes time to learn them. Um, and so that's kind of how I kind of got into it. When I met the UFC guys, they said, hey, can you help some of our Chinese fighters? Well, they were already training with Vince. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll start working with them. Right? So they sent me uh, Li Jingliang. In 2010, they sent Leach. Um, he was still a legend at the time. And so they're like, hey, look, he's going to get into UFC soon. Um, he's right after Tetron. And, um, you know, because he used to be the towel boy for Tetron. And they used to do their training at, at our place. So um, I remember seeing him and I told Vince, I said, man, this guy's special. He's a special guy. He was very motivated. Uh, very enthusiastic, very optimistic kind of personality. Um, and then that's how it started. They brought me Li Jingliang. I started working with him. He started racking up some wins, um, not taking a lot of damage, um, which we can talk about this fight. I wasn't very uh, excited about. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how it got started. Um, and then they brought me um, uh, Zhang Wei Li. Mm -hmm. They brought me Zhang Wei Li about five years ago. Um, and she was just getting into MMA. You know, she was just starting to get into it. Um, little skinny little thing, but super, super motivated. Mm -hmm. Like, like a fire plug, man. She was just a, I was just inspired just to work with her because of her work ethic. She was like running circles around the guys because she was doing some group class stuff. And um, so, yeah, they brought me uh, Zhang Wei Li. And about two years ago, they brought me Yan Xiaonan. Um, and then about a year ago, I started working with China's uh, one of the top boxers, Ili, Ili Siate. He's one of the top boxers here in Asia. Um, so, yeah, I've just been working with those guys. But Li Jingliang and Zhang Wei Li, I've had an extensive amount of time to work with those and, de and develop them. Of course, Zhang Wei Li, incredible, incredible athlete. Um, I've t spoke with some of her coaches from the beginning when she started out. And she's, they say the same thing, extremely motivated extremely talented but other than that like what makes her the athlete she is do you think from your perspective well you know i'm the only american on the team so i'm looking at it from a very i sometimes i have to change positions i have to look at what's happening how much wear and tear are we putting on her body is she getting enough sleep like i'm the only motherfucker that cares about that shit everybody else is like and that's how she was trained. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you can't train like that all the time. Your training will, will be the reason why you don't become champion. You know, because it's always, it's that old school mindset. It's that military kind of mindset. More, 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 more. And part of being great is having the discipline to rest, right? To manage it. So when I came in, we kind of sat down and we started creating more structure, right? Where you listen to your body a little bit more. We started integrating the strength and conditioning because she had some pre-existing injuries that we were battling, back problem, right? You're not going to become champion, right? And maintain that kind of level with your style of fighting, which you're very aggressive, your style of training, and that back's not going to hold up. It's just not, right? Um, so when I came in, I, 
I kind of said, look, this is what I need for her to be successful. Uh, I need time. Uh, she needs to adapt to these new training styles, and she needs to off a little bit from the other stuff, right? Uh, and they gave time. The team was very, very open and welcoming, um, probably because I was already in kind of the inner circle from the beginning. Uh, and then we just started building her up, man. We started building her up and taking all of her, her personality traits, the focus, the discipline, that girl doesn't do anything else but live, breathe, eat MMA. She doesn't go shopping. My girlfriend tried to take her shopping for some dresses and stuff like that. The girl had trouble putting them on. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just John Wei Lee. You know what I mean? Um, we laugh about it, but it's kind of cute. You know, mm -hmm. like, she's just like a miniature version of Cyborg. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so yeah, when I came in, I just kind of said, "Look, guys, let's just organize this a little bit more." So we can actually give ourselves a shot at Joanna. Because Joanna was the champion at the time. And I remember seeing Joanna and I said, we're not ready for that shit yet. <laughs> we're not ready for that kind of smoke. Because Joanna was, you know, she's the best. She's still one of the best. Um, so Joanna was always the, the Mount Everest uh, in my mind because she was the champion at that time um, for Zhang Wei Li was a big, you know. I have to tell you, man, you know, if, when they say if you dream it, it'll happen, you have to dream it with conviction. Like you have to say it, dream it, and believe it with everything you are in order for it to happen. Because if you have doubt, it never will. And so when we said, hey, we'll, we'll get you to become a world champion. We don't know how long it's going to take. But we'll give you that shot. You got to go out there and deliver. And she did. You know, it was war. It was a war, but you know, yeah, I, I still get choked up about it. Yeah, going through that, you know, going through the the motions and be, being with her from the start to 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 UFC 248. You know, take me back, take me to that night. It was only two weeks ago, so or three weeks ago, around that time. It must have been mixed emotion because you had two fighters compete that night. Well, it was just a fucking mess. Excuse me about the cussing. It was just a mess, bro. Okay, this coronavirus thing hits, right? And you start seeing things slowly kind of constricting. You know what I mean? You can start feeling it. I'm talking to her manager, and we're saying, Ugh, we better get her out of here. Like, we need to get her the fuck out of here. All the fighters need to leave. Because China was starting to just slowly start constricting because things were getting worse. So what's the next best place? Get them to Thailand because at least they can continue their training, right? So the fighters left, uh, went to China, uh, Thailand. You know, Tommy, you know, Tommy, uh, the translator, he's been the assistant uh, strength and conditioning coach when I'm working with the other fighters or I'm too busy you know, doing lectures. He'll stand in and he'll do the training for Zhang Wei Li. So I told Tommy, I said, go with her. So I sent Tommy to Thailand with her, you know, that so that he can continue to train her. And I was sending him workouts to do in Thailand. Okay. Um, so she's in Thailand. We get the call, says, 
you know, there's a lot of Chinese running to Thailand. We don't know if the U.S. is going to block Thailand passports or passengers coming in from Thailand. We didn't know. Um, so they made the executive decision. UFC's like, get her to uh, Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, yeah. Um, which is like traveling and the training and the disruption of your sleep. We didn't come in 100% to that fight. I wasn't with her for almost a month before that fight. So the Zhang Wei Li that you saw in that fight, although it was a war, that was not Zhang Wei Li at 100%. That's a fact. 100%. What I'm saying is that U.S., L.A., Vegas, get us there two weeks before, three weeks before, and you will see a different Zhang Wei Li. You know, the overall stress, worrying about your family, you're not training right, it's choppy, uh, it's, it wears and tears on you mentally, not just physically, but mentally, on everybody, right? Um, I get to the U.S. about two weeks before she lands. I get there like two days later, battling jet lag. She couldn't sleep. You know, the, the strength and conditioning phase, she was finishing up a power endurance phase. We couldn't do it. She didn't have the juice, you know? On top of that, she, she still maintained her 10 rounds a day, six days a week, you know, trying to battle the sleep. So I'm telling you right now, if they run this back, and I hope to God they run it back, just not the next fight. I hope it's a few more fights. If they run it back, you will see a different John Wei Lee. 100% different. You'll see a more, a quicker, faster, more explosive John Wei Lee. And the five rounds of people worried about her gassing, you don't have to worry about that. We, we knew you didn't have to worry about that. But you will see a more explosive, dynamic John Wei Lee in the next fight. I promise you. Because we'll actually finish the full camp. We were at a huge disadvantage. I'm not making excuses, right? We were at a huge disadvantage because she didn't get a full camp in. End of story. You know? Joanna's a, a champion, but they just had to make one trip. Right? Yeah. Maybe she did some stuff in New York, but nothing compared to what our team had to go through and to pull it off um, and to to do what she did was just absolutely amazing because I knew how much fucking work it took just to get us all there. We didn't even think we were all going to be there, bro. It was crazy. So she, in your oh. eyes, she extremely underperformed. Oh, without a doubt. When she said I'm disappointed in her performance, or she said that to her about herself, I understand what she meant. She, she didn't come in fully prepared. 70% maybe. Because I, because I know that based on our Andrash prep, she had a complete camp, you know, perfect. She, she was, we call it primed, like she was primed for Andrash. Like there was no way Andrash was going to win that fight, no chance, right? And she did have home court advantage, but at the same time, her training camp was perfect. It wasn't choppy like this one. This one was like, if you can say, Give me the worst training camp. This could have been like one of the worst training camps that we would have gone through just because the last six weeks were so fucked, right? There's only an eight-week camp, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So 
you know, 75, 80% of that part of the camp was, was just too choppy for us. So you'll see a better John Wei Lee next time. I promise you. Well, right now she's stuck in Vegas, right? She can't get, get back to China to her family. Yeah, I think she'll, she'll be back in a few weeks. Um, you know, what had happened is China had put a two-week mandatory um, quarantine. I get back, and the quarantine originally was home quarantine. Two days after I land, they change it to a designated uh, hotel quarantine. And then you got to pay almost 100 bucks a night for those two weeks. So I, I sent them the, uh, the update, and they said, well, hold on, let's check. And they said, uh, we're not going to come back now. Well, either which way, Beijing's tightened up. If you leave Beijing and go to Shanghai and try to get back in, you still have to do two weeks quarantine um, at a hotel. So Beijing's like even tighter. Uh, so they just chose to stay there and wait it out. You know, so they'll be back, uh, I think, uh, third week of April, end of April. They'll probably still have to do their two weeks, but at least they're closer to their family. It's, yeah. it's tough on the team. You know how, you know how we are. Us Asians are really close to family. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We got 14 years here. I'm kind of Asian myself, so we're really close to family. And you know, being away from our family, you know, it messes with us, right? We get a little mm -hmm. emotional. So, yeah, they're going through some tough times. You work with Yang Wei Li. And you also work with Yang Jiangnan too. And those two are two of the best strawweights in the world. And man, it's, it, it's almost like they're going to eventually end up maybe fighting each other. Do you see that happening in the future? This is my dream that they fight each other. Now, you, you ask them, of course, you know, they're like, we'll fight. Xiaonan's like, we'll fight. Of course, John Wei Li's always down. And they're friends, right? They're not friends when they cross each other in the gym, <laughs> right? But, but outside of that, yeah, they're friends. Yeah, it's not a problem. But as a coach, fuck yeah, let's fight. I would love that. You know, the two strawweight champion, number one contender to both be from China and to both be from my little gym. Absolutely, 1,000%. Let's do it. They're both going to make money. It's great for both of them. It's great for Asia. Um, and it's great for, for the brand uh, and what we're doing. So I'm all in, 100%. They, they both win, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a win either way because I've gotten a chance to see them both grow and where they came from and understanding who they are as people, and it's a win-win. Yeah. It'll be a war, I'll tell you what. That would be a fucking war because Xiaonan's so fucking stubborn. And you know how it is, is when, you know, you, you see like one of your colleagues kind of excel and you're like, what the fuck? I should be there. Right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have that, that they rise to the occasion kind of thing. I think Xiaonan would be, it would be a good fight. Mm. I don't think it would be one-sided fight. I think it would be a good fight. And I would tell John Wei Lee to her face, Xiaonan's not going to back down. As I trained them, I already told them, I'm not involved in the plan. Like the strategy of the fight, I don't care, right? I will prepare both of you the way that you both need to be trained to be the very best for the opponent's style of fighting, because that's how I uh, changed the, the training. So I'm gonna make Xiaonan the very best to defeat a style like Zhang Wei Li, and I will train Zhang Wei Li 
to defeat a style like Xiaonan, and, and that's how I'll do it. And then hands off. I'm just going to be a great, uh, happy fan, right? Yeah. But I would love to see that fight. Yeah. So much talent. You know, those are those are just the cream of the crop. But right now, coming up, there's so many prospects in China. And there's a, and then the UFC Academy is going on right now, developing the talent. Contender Series Asia. Are you hyped for that? Is that something that's like, man, there's going to be people are going to finally find out what type of talent is developing out there? Well, I think the um, MMA is hot right now. Um, you know, also John Willie's made it mainstream because it was like the perfect storm. You can't leave the house. Everybody's on quarantine. You're bored as shit. Right. You're there with your, you know, your family. And it's like you need a form of entertainment. You got this this little straw weight fighting abroad, kind of carrying the country on her shoulders. 20 million. I think they had like 15 or 20 million views or pay-per-view, something ridiculous. Right. Uh, One billion views, a billion hashtags. I mean, it was like the perfect cocktail for publicity and marketing for MMA which gets a lot of fans and which is going to help anything that the UFC does in terms of events, right? Um, I'm excited for it. I'm not really involved in a lot of the things that the UFC does as an organization here um, because I was here really early, right? The UFC is a big machine. They have their own agenda. Um, So they don't really ask me for any kind of help or anything. They kind of do their own thing, and I just take care of the fighters, Um, The fighters have the opportunity to go to Shanghai and train, but I know them so well and they get, they've been getting one-on-one attention for, you know, five years, nine years. They go over there and they just don't feel the same. They have the high tech, they have all the data, they have all of that, but it's like, you know, when you feel really, really comfortable with your coach, um, they just choose to stay with me, which is cool. You know, I'm good with that. Now we're in an in age um, where fighters, even from the start of their career, they have a nutritionist, they have a SNC coach, they have some of them even have mind coaches. You know, of course, they have a striking ground wrestling. It's just it's just the development of the sport that we're seeing now to where it's like they need that personal attention from every single facet. And uh, and those are the fighters that go to that level like like, you know, like who you have right now, which is Zhang Wei Li. Right. I agree. You know, right now we're looking at the the next level. I think after this fight with Joanna and John Wei Lee, you're gonna see women's combat just just gonna take it up a notch. You know what I mean? Because they showed you what women are capable of doing. They showed you that women are capable of running a main event. I don't foresee John Wei Lee being a co-main event in her next fight because of the style, whether it's Andrade, whether it's Rose, whether it's a rematch with Joanna, it's main event caliber. And I think this is awesome because now women can start getting paid more, Hmm. which, I mean, I think they should get paid, right? I I think it's important because for us as fans, we're paying for entertainment. Hmm. And if fighters are bringing the entertainment and they're drawing eyes to it because of their personality, because of their grit, like you got to pay them, you know, what I mean? like pay, pay these guys. Yeah. Major they're females. What can matter, right? They they all suffer. Um, 
And especially when they're delivering. Like, I've watched a few women's fights after that. Like, holy shit. They've elevated. They've gotten a chance to break through that that four-minute mile. You know, like, I can mm. do this. Like, I can see that women, you know, with Cyborg and Nunes. And, but from a five-round war, this was probably the best top ten ever fights I've ever seen. Um, so I just think that I think you'll see women's pay go up. They'll demand more. Like, I'm... I'm I'm filling seats, I'm getting views, and I'm an entertaining fighter. And so I think this is great. That whole fight was awesome for everybody. No, definitely. This one of the greatest fights of all time. People are screaming and yelling that everywhere you go, online, everywhere. So it, it must be true, and, and I believe myself it was uh, insane. Um, now, one last question. Who's sure, next? Who you think should be next? You think Rose, you want a fresh face? Rose should be next for Zhang Weili? I love Rose, man. I think she's an amazing fighter. I, I, I have to look at it from two different perspectives. Um, Money-wise, yeah, of course. Rose makes sense if she can get through Andrade. Um, I'm curious to see what adjustments Andrade makes. Uh, I'm sure she's probably improved on her striking um, based on the, the knockout that she took with uh, – or the TKO she took with Zhang Wei Li. She's not going to be so straightforward. Um so I'm curious to see what adjustments she makes, but Rose is such a technical fighter. She's, she's so good, man. You know, And she gives the illusion like she doesn't have that, that power, but she's so technical, she doesn't waste anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she, when she hits, she hit with everything because she's so technical. So she's had a, you look at her and the way she moves and the way she uses angles, She's still close, but her angles are so good, she can generate power from either side. And so, you know, when I look at John Wei Lee's style and I look at Rose's style, it just it's just another great fight. Flip side to that is when John Wei Lee hits you, right? The damage that she can cause because she hits so hard and she's so fast, our adjustments are gonna be more with our head movement, right? Um Working those angles, I mean, if we can get the angles, uh, acquire the skills that Rose has from the angles and still generate that much power, oh, I don't think anybody can hang with John Wei Lee. It's just too much, man. She hits like a dude. I mean, you know, I have to hold pads for this woman. She hits like a guy, <laughs> right? At the same time, that's not going to be the only thing that wins fights. You have to be technical. You have to be strategic. Um, Rose brings all of that and she has such great coaches. So I'm excited for that fight. Um, I would like to see Joanna fight Tatiana. I think that would be a great fight. I think Rose is such a, an amazing with her takedown defense, which kind of counters the Tatiana's, you know, wrestling. I just think it would be a great, as a fan, I think it would be a great fight. Um, and then if she gets through Tatiana, which we don't know, right? We, we have no idea. Um, then the winner of Rose, Zhang Wei Li. This is if, you know, Rose, of course, beats Andrade, which we, we don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's exciting. But I think that's kind of the mix. Um, I was a little – I felt a little bad with the Yan Xiaonan fight because of Carolina. You know, when we're doing our training – I'll give you an example. When you're doing your training, you're trying to get the fighter in the mindset, right? So we're throwing some elbows. I'm like, break – her fucking orbital, right? 
you don't literally mean break her orbital. You're just trying to get them into that mindset like you're, you're not giving me everything that you have, right? So when she went out there and she hurt her really bad, she was actually really upset because she didn't knock her out. Like she was upset, crying upset. She's like, ah, oh, buha, buha, coach, I didn't do good, I didn't do good, because she wanted to finish, right? But then you watch the videos a week after with Carolina, uh, Carolina, she has to go home, you know? You don't want any of the fighters, any of the athletes going home to their family and having permanent damage like that, yeah? Uh, so as a, as a father, you know, as a human being, there's a sport and then there's the rest of the world that you have to live in. And so I'm just grateful that everything's back to normal and she didn't take any permanent damage. Um, and then I'll, I'll be a little careful with what I say in the training because I really don't, I don't want anybody to take that kind of damage, you know? Because it could have been permanent, um, but I think you're going to see Yan Xiaonan improve with her wrestling, uh, with her ground game, um, and and she needs to be sharper with her striking. She needs to be more patient with her striking. Right. So yeah. Man, it was a great conversation, Ruben. Man, it's uh, I'm I'm so glad I finally awesome. got you on here to just chat it up and chop it up, and and hopefully we do many of these in the future. Um, Take care, yeah, man, and be careful, you know, traveling or whatever you need to do in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, man, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me and, and all the best. See ya.